Hi, everybody. Mike Hancock, the chairman of the Circle of Excellence group of companies, and welcome to what we call our global intelligence updates. Today, we're going to be talking about significance. And quite frankly, we're going to be talking about how to create significance in your life. And I'm going to look at this from a number of different angles. And we've got uh, people live on the call. So expect uh, lots of interaction, folks, as well. You know, I like to do these things interactively. So I'm going to literally start by throwing it at you. Um, so here's my question for those of you that are live on the call. What does significance mean to you? Feel free to uh, pop up your hand um, or just uh, give me some feedback. What does significance mean to you? Brenda, I'm going to go with you first because I can see your picture. Then I'm going to go with uh, with Philippe and we'll get a couple of comments. First thing that came to my uh, my mind, Mike, was making a difference. Making a difference, yep. Mm. And so you really relate having a life of significance to making a difference. Okay, mm, interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Good. Philippe, what about you? All right, sorry. I'm on my iPad today, so it's a bit different. Anyway, uh, for me, yeah, it's it's about making an impact and having this theory of the ripple effect. So you may you, know, you impact one person that may impact 10 or you impact 10 people and they may impact another 10 all themselves. So that's that's more of the, the vision I have in mind. Yeah, I like that ripple effect idea. It's, it's one of the things I love about being an author. And um, as you know, I've got a book launch happening tomorrow, but, but the fact is that, you know, A, I don't know everybody who's read the material, so it's funny to me, sometimes I get on a plane and I see somebody reading one of my books. You know, it does happen. So that's a funny thing. But also that they go and tell other people, hey, I read this in a book. And that's this ripple effect that you're talking about. So that's great. Let me jump in and get one more. Arnie, if you're on, if you if you can uh, unmute for me and tell me what significance means for you. And I'll go backwards and forwards to the, the chat because I did see that. Oh, you put it in the chat, Arnie. Great. Leaving the world in a better place than when you came. Okay, that's lovely. So I think we've got some very, very interesting things. Well, significance is entirely a very deep subject. And in fact, the reason why I decided to do this uh, as the topic for today's webinar is that I'm halfway through writing my next book on the concept of significance. And my research is really deep and we're only touching literally the sides of it today. And we're just going to touch on several different topics. But as I went into this, I realized that it has impact um, on a personal level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a mental level, on a physical level. So all aspects of the medicine wheel are touched by significance. And it's also a fundamental human need. So on the screen here, I've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I'm interested to uh, understand from any of you who would like to comment where you feel significance fits in on Maslow's hierarchy. For those of you that can't see the screen, the, the bottom is the, uh, the physiological needs like air, water and food. Then the safety needs like personal security, employment, resources, then love and belonging. So that's friendship and intimacy. Then esteem, which is respect, self-esteem, status uh, and recognition. And then at the top of his hierarchy of needs is self-actualization, desire to become the most that one can be. So where does significance fit on this? Let's see if anybody's got an idea. 
Um, yes, interestingly, but... Mike, I feel like it fits in all of it. But what stood out for me was loving, belonging and self-actualization. But I feel like there's a level of significance would make an impact in all of those, I think. Yeah, and Philippe says uh, essentially in self-actualization, which is right up the top. But it's interesting that significance fits in every single part of it. If you don't feel at all significant in your life, then quite likely you may end up living on the streets. So that means your physiological needs are, are there. If you know, if you're not feeling significant, then you don't have the energy or uh, ability to even go and get a job or look after your health. And then, of course, if you don't feel significant, then having relationships are you know going to be tough for you. And then comes into self-esteem, which is a huge part of significance. And then self-actualization, which is atypically, and Philippe, you're right, this is the area where most of us that are probably taking the time to A, be on this webinar or um, B, watching the recording of this, are actually playing our game in life. So we are trying to better ourselves. So whether you're listening to this as one of our podcasts, whether you're live on the call or whether you are watching the recording because you couldn't be here today, then you are a person who is doing some personal and professional development. So for you, self-actualization, the desire to become the most that you can be is very linked to significance and more of what you can do that's significant. So that's why when I asked you guys, what does significance mean to you? And you said, well, it's about life purpose. It's about being the best that you can be, you know, and things like that. That's very self-actualization statements. But I think the awareness here for us, particularly those of you on the call that are coaching in any way, whether it be inside a business or coaching people externally outside of a business, then I think what you have to understand is that for many of these people, they're struggling to find significance in their daily life. And I don't know if you've ever had a job. And uh, hi, Dave, lovely to see you. And um, I don't know if you've ever had a job whereby you just haven't felt in any way that you're significant in this job or that what you do is significant at all. It's quite soul destroying. And I, you know, I remember my very first job, which was driving a forklift and packing boxes and shelves in a warehouse. And, you know, some days I get to the end of the day and go, what is this even for, Right. And in actual fact, I felt that way very much at the end of my corporate career, even though I was at a very high level, I was actually thinking, what is this actually for? Uh, welcome to Sam. Welcome to Kaney as well. Lovely to have you on the call today. Um, one of our, I won't say old and bold circle of excellence members, but certainly been around since uh, 2012, which is basically really right back at the start of circle of excellence. So significance and well-being also. So what I mean by this, well, you can see it all <laughs> in the comments there and you don't need me to share that with you too much, but greater meaning in well-being, uh, that was what 85% of people surveyed said that the, where you had greater meaning for your life, your well-being would be significantly affected. And that's fascinating because Often you find that people who are more focused, more wanting to get ahead, um, more 
have goal orientated, et cetera, they're also the people who tend to be more focused on their health. And so that is also something that their well-being, uh, you know, really benefits from the fact that they're quite driven in other areas of their life to make a difference. Um, and it says here that if you have a large number of close friends and associates, that helps you feel more significant. So, you know, when you go to one of those places where you just have a bunch of friends there and you just love everybody and you've been with that group and, you know, you've had them a long time and that sort of thing, this really helps you, particularly in times when you're down, um, you know, if you've ever been through divorce and you go out with your friends and they pat you on the back and say, sorry about that, bro, or, or whatever, you know, and everything will be all right. It really helps you feel significant where often things like a divorce or a business breakup or getting ripped off in business or something like that can really implode our, our belief in ourselves and, and make us feel small. Whereas if you could look at significance as making you feel large or bigger, significance, no significance makes you feel small. Having that group around you can really help you with um, helping you actually feel bigger again. Um, Philippe said yeah, you had that feeling in corporate as well of not necessarily feeling significant anymore. And this often happens, and I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but here's a funny story. Hope uh, nobody I used to work for in corporate is listening to this. But when our company went through a takeover, uh, myself and a buddy who worked alongside me at that stage, um, we realized that we were going to get retrenched. And uh, at that stage, uh, I was the national sales manager and he was uh, manager of strategic partnerships or something like that. And so we realized that we were going to get retrenched. So we went out and uh, we got called to the retrenchment meeting um, the next day. So we went out the day before and, uh, you know, I think we had nine bottles of wine at lunch, ordered lobsters on the company card, pretty much abused the, the corporate credit card because we thought we were going to enter into a new company where we were going to be superfluous to need. So our level of significance went, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller. And the more we drank over the course of the day, the more we realized we were actually going to be a small cog in this much bigger company's wheel. Lo and behold, the shock the next day where I got a promotion and he ended up working for me and got kept in the company as well. Boy, did we have to hide those expenses pretty quickly. But um but that's certainly, then I had the, the problem and the issue in the new company, which was much bigger. I went from a company with 400 staff to a company with like 5,000 staff. I had a much bigger role in the new company, but I was still fighting for significance because instead of being a big player in a small pond, now I was still a big player, but I was a big player with other big players. I went from three of us basically being big players to eight of us big being big players. So my level of significance and having to fight in that organization definitely was something that I had to deal with. So I, I think um, that's something that we all have to go through, whether we join a new network, when you come into circle of excellence, for instance, you're sort of playing small at the beginning, but then once you've been around a while, you know, you actually understand the lie of the land and you can do what you want. And this has a significant effect on our own well-being as well. You know, Viktor Frankl wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Now, I don't know if you've read the book, but he was a Holocaust survivor. 
And I love this statement here by him that he says, he says, the search for meaning and purpose in life is a fundamental human drive. So in other words, it's inbuilt into us that we're constantly searching for meaning and purpose. And individuals can find inner strength and resilience, even in the most challenging and tragic circumstances, by discovering a sense of meaning in their experiences. So his book, which is um, probably half autobiographical and half psychological, is really about his experiences in the concentration camps during the Second World War and how he discovered meaning in the experiences that he was having on a day-to-day -day basis, the starvation, the threat of death, the, uh, the, the feeling that he may be next, etc. He's really looking for meaning in those areas. And that gave him purpose, which enabled him to live and survive. So the people that lost purpose and lost meaning, they withered and died. So hence his book, which is one of the best-selling books of all time, Man's Search for Meaning, um, obviously written a long time ago, I think in the early 1950s. I haven't, haven't checked that date, but I think that's when it was written. So it's a 70-year-old book, is still as significant today as a message for us as what it was in the time post-Second World War. Sam says your family or children can affect your significance greatly. How true that is. And this is also depending on where you are in your stage of life, Sam. Also, you know, once when your children are under seven, they're like throwing themselves on your lap and, and you're their world, right? But by the time they're 15, they're like, mummy and daddy who? You know, get out of my space. You feel a lot less significant. Then tends to happen that you become more significant as that person moves into adulthood. And generally speaking, by the time your child has had their own families and there's a whole thing going with Christmas and birthdays and family stuff, you're feeling a lot more significant again in the family. But then guess what we do in the Western world? You know, we're terrible. We go, oh, our parents are now 70 years old. Let's pack them off into a home and keep them out of the way there because they need to be looked after and we only go and visit them once a year. So then our significance drops again. So I think that's a great comment, Sam, definitely. Um, uh, okay, Philip says Auschwitz had a three-month life expectancy. Thanks so much for that, Philip. That really gives, um, gives perspective. Here's another perspective. If you were a fighter pilot in the Second World War, uh, look at my past life, you had a life expectancy of six weeks. So Auschwitz or fighter pilot? No, I don't think either of those are a, a, a good uh, a good resolve there. Auschwitz was definitely tough. I have been to Auschwitz and, and uh, the concentration camps in Poland. So I've seen that in real life. But here's a question that I want to ask the people on, on the call today. Is faith significant? Now, I've used the word faith here instead of religious or religion, but I want to ask you guys, is this significant and how significant is it in our daily lives today in the 2020s? So Arnie says, yes, very. But I'm interested to dig into this a little bit more. Um, Brenda says she leans into faith throughout every day. Maybe explain that to us, Brenda, 
um, because your microphone's working well. Um, and Sam says, greatly, it keeps us hopeful. Uh, uh, yeah, and Arnie says she agrees with you, Brenda. So mm -hmm. maybe just explain to me what leaning into faith means from your point of view. Mm. Well, I think it's, you know, for me, uh, I've become that way through life experience. And um, I totally agree with Victor E. Frankel. I love his work um, and his fabulous quotes. And I think life experience, you know, we can really uh, use that to help others. For me, um, I think it's facing facing the more challenging situations in life and, and getting a bit older and coming to a place where I realize I can't control everything. And just, I remember many years ago, throwing my hands in the air. I have a very strong spiritual faith, throwing my hands in the air and going, I just can't do this anymore. Please help me. And that process of surrender and letting go um, was so calming Right. that I quickly got used to asking for help. Um, and it's become a, it's just become a daily thing for me. Like even Mike, when I lose my keys, ah, oh, can you show me where my keys are? Um, you know, I, for me, that's a faith in something, isn't it? It's a faith. I mean, I have a 100%. very strong, I definitely listen to my guides, et cetera. So take it next level. But um, I just feel like, it's it's just a way of life for me now, but when I share it with people who are not there yet, uh, there's instant there's instant feedback, there's instant results, instant success with trusting that you know. Beautiful. There's a much you, more powerful really, force than me. Mm. Absolutely, really, really good comments. I'm just going to go to the chat. Let's see what we've got there. So Arnie says, trust in the universe and trust that what's coming for you is meant for you. Now, this is from the survivor of the 2004 tsunami. So we, we need to take that pretty seriously. Thank you for that, Arnie. And life, if happening for you, we choose our soul's journey. I 100% I agree with that. Um, and then says, is not if surrender, trust, letting go, prayers, etc." So I take it what you mean there is it's irrelevant whether... Faith for you is sitting in the front row at church or at your mosque and uh, and going to your daily rituals. It's irrelevant whether it's doing your meditation. It's irrelevant whether it's asking somebody higher up than you to help you find your car keys. But it's about the fact that when you have faith, then you never feel alone. And when you don't feel alone, then you have a wingman, a partner, somebody to go through things with and I think that it creates a very a solid strength in a and can give you resilience and can make you feel more significant and when you feel more significant your self-esteem uh, rises and when you feel more significant you feel like you can do things that you otherwise wouldn't have thought that you can do whether it be make a cold call or run 100 kilometers it doesn't matter so these things are all part of it so for those of us that have a deep and strong faith in the world, ourselves, um, our friends, a higher purpose, God, whoever, I think that we're going to be um, much more resilient and much more able to cope with the stresses of modern life. Sam says, believing in something bigger than you makes you believe you have help 
outside people, 100%. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I was telling Chris the other day because we're talking about uh, we're talking about study and, you know, it's the, the time of the year where kids do study and they do their final exams. And I was telling him that during uh, my final year at school, uh, I was living at my best friend's house and my study, because I was pretty much a renegade those days, and all I wanted to do was play in my rock band and, and you know, play cricket and footy and things like that. I wasn't much interested in study. Um, the way I, in which I studied is uh, we built a pyramid out of uh, cardboard in a perfect uh, proportions to the Great Pyramid of Giza. And we suspended those above our uh, heads at our bed so that Basically, we would be in the exact place where in the Great Pyramid, don't ask me how I even knew this stuff at age 17, where the Great Pyramid's subterranean chamber was. And then I would put my books I had to study under my pillow, sleep on those with the pyramid over my head, and that was my study. And somehow I passed. So, you know, that was faith in that something greater than myself, Sam, has got my back. Um, so... Uh, Brenda says, nicely said, Arnie. So well done there as well. So um, I'm going to just go to uh, Dave Greenberg, if you are there. Do you have a comment on this around faith? Is faith significant for you or what's, uh, what's your relationship with it? How do you pick yourself up when you're feeling small? I, evening, Mike, and morning, wherever you are. Um, the... Okay. Like formal religion doesn't do it for me. Um, I, I've always believed in the great spirit. So I do believe there's something much bigger than us. And then, of course, I did in like 1990, um, much like you just said, you just said, if you don't believe in God. Um, but but for me, I've seen some miraculous things in my job on the rescue helicopter and stuff. People who shouldn't have survived that survived and um, so I believe there's something, but for me, my faith comes from other people and my faith in other people, even when you get let down the faith that, um, your friends are there for you, or there's someone you could talk to. And, and then that all comes from the great spirit, bringing the right people into your life at the right times. So, but, but I get a bit, um, yeah, I, I don't believe in the praying, but but I will take some, I won't call it meditation. I don't think it is, but I, I will take time out of my day to think about things. So um, it really depends how broad you go with the definition. Yeah, well, it's a lovely comments. And um, I want to dig into this a little bit further with you, uh, because for those of you that are listening to this and or watching the, the replay and don't know Dave Greenberg's story, um, Dave uh, spent the better part of 30 years or more working and hanging out the bottom of a rescue helicopter, um, saving people's lives. So, Dave, I want to ask you about significance. And this is a relevant topic. And the reason why I put this topic forward and the reason why I'm writing a book on it at the moment is because I feel that for people who are wanting to improve their business, for people who are wanting to improve their life, for people who are wanting to be uh, have greater prosperity, freedom, and purpose, significance plays a key role in our relationship with it, plays a key role in that. So I'm interested to ask you this question. There must have been days that you worked in the rescue business 
where you felt totally insignificant and small, and there must have been days where you felt almost larger than life. And what my question is, what contributed to those two things? And uh, for, for somebody who is in constantly working with people in life and death situations, what contributed to you feeling small or feeling larger than life? Well, larger than life was finding someone in big seas. Um, a story I tell in one of my keynotes is about guy in huge. We couldn't find a forty foot yacht amongst the sea, and we we rescued him. We finally found it, and then he fell from our harness. Shouldn't have happened, but it did, and we lost him. And we're we're searching in this huge sea and um just trusting our training and staying calm and not going into crisis mode and all of that not going into overwhelm and then just spotting something like everything i spotted in the search and rescue world was most of it was peripheral like never when you're concentrating trying to find it it was always off on the edge and but finding a person in those huge seas and then rescuing rescuing them for a second time that day, yeah, that that was a um, larger than life moment. Um, but then there were times when you would do your best, and whether it was in a rescue or a medical situation, and you know we're only human and we can only do so much, and um, things happen. And watching young kids die was always right. tough. And those were the days when you felt really insignificant and like things were out of control or out of your own control. Yeah, so so a word there that you're using here, which is, is great, and this is the reason I asked you the question, to see if there was a common theme. The common theme here is control. So where you felt that you were in control, i.e. you trusted your training and you just went for it and you had a good outcome, the result internally was that you felt more significant, which yep. then would have had a benefit for you um, in, you know, I'm not talking about strutting down the street like a rock star, but I'm talking about, you know, you your self-esteem would have gone up, you would have had better relationships at that time, et cetera, et cetera. But then I guarantee if you'd had a week or so where you'd lost people, um, particularly children, which obviously are a huge effect on 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 your psyche, then you sort of go, what what's next? You know, you 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 wouldn't even know where to turn. So you just become smaller and and sort of go inside. So control over our actions, our destiny, to a large extent, and also understanding that we have very little control over some of the things that happen to us in our life. I mean. Yep, the guy shouldn't have fallen off the harness, but he did. I mean, you can't control the 40-foot seas, right? So, yep. yep, but you got him back. But if you hadn't have, you know, that's, it's in many cases outside of your control. So the more that we can control but keep in balance the fact that we can't control everything. I mean, I can control whether I'm what I'm going to eat today. There's probably no doubt about that but I can't control what the pilot's going to do on my flight to Australia this weekend. So, you know, so you sometimes you just have to give it up. Dave, thanks so much for your, for your comments. I just want to go to the chat a little bit and then I'll come back 
and we'll make uh, we'll move on. So, um, Chris, I have faith in people and outcomes, not religious faith. Uh, from Dave, that was great. Thank you, Arnie. Also, believing in something bigger that uh, you lifts you out of individualistic ego state to more of one consciousness, universal consciousness. That's a lovely comment um, because when you believe in something bigger, you start to realize that actually we're pretty inconsequential. And, um, you know, everybody wants to leave a legacy. I spent years wanting to leave a legacy. And then I realized whatever legacy I leave within 20 years, probably nobody's going to remember. And, you know, we might remember the names Julius Caesar or Einstein or Mother Teresa, but we never really knew what they were like and what they thought about. So most of the essence of who you are does disappear when you disappear from this planet. Um, then Arnie says, I'm not religious, but spiritual. Having had near-death experiences, I know this isn't the end. We're souls that live on after our bodies die. That's really good. And for those of you that were wondering, Arnie's just... Uh, a person with many, many, too many for her liking, near-death experiences, that's a, a great one to, to have. Um, she says, way to go, Dave, as well. And Sam says, faith for me is a substance of things hoped for. If you want to build, faith is like bricks. You want to finish no matter what. Um, that's a lovely statement, Sam. Faith in someone will equal to love, which is powerful if reciprocated, but if not, may crush. A very good comment as well. Philippe says control and surrender. Beautiful. And it's a it's a yin and yang, right? It's a yin and yang of control and surrender, black and white. That, they're beautiful words, Philippe. Um, you've got four there, Arnie. So, okay, that's a, a comment to uh, uh, four near-death experiences. So thanks for that. Yep, something you don't want to have five of. But, you know, better to have five than go to the other way, I guess that's that's for sure. Let's move on. So we talked about building self-esteem and the role of significance in building self-esteem. So positive feelings about the way in which you contribute to the planet help you build self-esteem. So for instance, those of you that are bosses, that uh, if you go to work and you feel like you've had a good day, everything's gone well, that's going to help you feel that you've contributed and going to help you build your self-esteem. If you're a coach, then, um, you know, you've just come off a coaching session, it's gone well, that's going to help you be positive, building self-esteem. If you're a speaker and you feel you've just done a great job at speaking and people have been lifted up, that's going to help you build your self-esteem. But also building self-esteem is about being recognized and validated. So this is why you should go and chase, you know, recommendations on LinkedIn. And it's just lovely for me when I get a recommendation on LinkedIn that I wasn't expecting. I got one literally last week and I, I went back to the person who gave it to me and I just said, thank you so much. Actually, Lundy and I both got lovely testimonials on LinkedIn from a guy called Zach who came one, to one of our masterminds. We'd never met him before in the flesh. We haven't talked to him since. He was literally a participant there. But they're just such lovely testimonials. And, you know, that validation can't do anything but help us build our self-esteem, not ego, um, because if you move into ego, every, every uh, positive taken to an extreme becomes a negative, of course. And then if you're seen to be of value, 
any of you that are seen to be of value, that's going to help you build your self-esteem as well. Whether that value is helping a little old lady cross the road or whether that value is, you know, writing your thesis, which becomes a best-selling book and they make a movie out of it, or whether your value is just doing what you do on a daily basis. That's really great in helping you um, build your self-esteem. But I want to ask this question. I'm interested in a comment about this. How do you feel when somebody asks you for help? Is there anybody who'd like to comment on how you feel when somebody comes to you and says, can you please help me? I'm a bit stuck. Let's see if we can get some feedback from that. Whilst we do, Arnie says that she's like a cat with nine lives. That's good. That means you've got five to go. And you also say, Arnie also says, you love it when somebody asks you for help. And so that's a good comment. Has anybody else got a comment? Anybody like to share anything? Feel free to unmute and share if you would like to do so um, about how you feel when somebody asks you for help. If not, I'm going to, to move on. We've got another comment in the chat here. Let's have a look. Uh, Philippe says, always happy to help. It makes us feel good generally. Arnie says, I always happy to help, but this is where I need to say no a little more. Okay, so there are boundaries around help as well. So we're going to get to boundaries a little bit later on in, in this talk in the last 15 minutes or so. But generally speaking, when I ask an audience, how do you feel when somebody asks you for help? People feel lifted up. People feel like there's a belief in them. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody says, look, can you help me do the dishes? Or whether somebody says, can you help me build my business? It's the same sort of feeling. Or can you mentor me, et cetera, et cetera. We, it generally helps us feel like we're valued and to feel like we're recognized. And that has a spin-off for helping us build our own self-esteem as well. So let's now look at social comparison. Now, go on, be honest here, right? I see you laughing, Brenda. So are you, yeah, Brenda's a car nut, right? So um, we know this. So I decided I'd use this. Is you know, on the left here, folks, if you're not watching this, if you're listening to this, on the left here, we've got sort of got the latest eight series BMW. And on the right here, we've got the, you know, another new car, but this is the Nissan Micra. You know, which one do you want to be driving? No. Now, you might say, I don't care, right? I'm not into cars. That's fine. Let's let's pick something else by cars for you. You know, it's sort of like if I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to play a gig, do I want to play my proper Gibson Les Paul or do I want to play a Gibson Les Paul copy made by Epiphone? I want to play my proper Gibson Les Paul. Let's, let's come on. I want people to look in the audience and go, is he actually playing a vintage guitar on stage? I mean, I want that. You know, it makes me feel significant to own those things. I'm not shy in saying that. So which one do you want? Let's say we've got some comments in the chat. Let's see if anybody's uh, keen to play here uh, with me. Um, Brenda says she loves her brand new car. Brenda, I want to ask you about that in a second about um, significance. Philippe says, can you pick an Audi? Of course you can pick an Audi, Philippe. You know, everybody's allowed a second rate vehicle. There's no problem with that. I'm only joking. Uh, Dave says the Beamer, of course, uh, you know, the BMW, Philippe's going back, the Beamer for sure, powerful. Brenda says E-Type Jag, a wonderful car. By the way, Arnie, we have a Circle of Excellence member, Graham Rivers, and Graham can build you an E-Type Jag out of carbon fibre and you won't know the difference from the original. 
going to cost you a bucket, but you'll have a brand new E-Type Jag. So Brenda, tell me, what, what do you love about driving your new car? Mm. So many moons ago, um, my partner of the time, and it cracked me up, had this little charade, but um, and I hated driving it because I had a Nissan whatever, but I put a little Ferrari symbol on the steering wheel. <laughs> and my I friend in Greece has that on his 30-year-old car as well. And I think, I don't know, someone said it to me once, and I just, uh, it's the way I feel when I'm in my new car. I mean... I um one I've gone to hybrid but not just that I I came out of a one-year-old car to go into this one this year and I just hopped in it Mike and I thought wow this is next level it was just a really nice car to drive and the bonus of petrol prices going through the roof to get a hybrid right now um but 100% I like the way I feel in my car I I do I do feel um I like the way it looks I like um yeah no you've, you've yeah. given you've given good feedback so I'm, I'm honest I'm a car person that's what I'm like yeah it's my no, thing you are a car person I mean I can yeah. use this with anything houses or whatever and I'm not talking about keeping up with the Joneses here but this was a real sticking point for me in particular for a number of years Landy couldn't give a damn she's not a car person but uh, for around about five years, because we were traveling so much, we didn't own a car. So um, there was no need to. I mean, you know, if we were in South Africa, we were here for a month at a time. I mean, what's the point of, and we're here three months a year, what's the point of owning a car that's going to sit in a garage for like nine months a year? It just doesn't make sense to me. And at that stage, I was keeping a car in New Zealand. And then every time we went to get out of the garage, we had to fix it because it was sitting around for too long. So um, when we went and bought uh, uh, a, a new car in 2020 or 2021, I think it was, um, because of COVID and we were stuck in a country, I said, let's buy a car. I was so excited to finally have a new car again after all these years. And I really enjoyed driving it. But now that we're back on the road a lot and you know, I'm, I'm waiting for Lundy to say, let's sell the car again and, and keep using Uber. But I sort of have this still does do people if we roll up to a mastermind event and we've um got we've rented a car and it's like a toyota yaris or something like that um you know do people go these guys should be driving a bmw or a mercedes or a audi philippe or something or what's it saying to people and i and landy goes that's their problem but i still have that social comparison thing in that i like to drive i don't necessarily need to drive a ferrari but I like to drive a nice car because it allows me to feel significant when I pull up. You know, if we're doing a corporate event or something like that and we pull up in an Uber, it's not as good a look for me as, as doing this. Now, I realize that's my own stuff, but that's why, I'm, that's why I put this slide in here because this is what we go through all the time. This is the type of things that we're going through with people. So thanks for playing that game, um, Brenda. That was useful. Uh, you have your personalized plates on yours as well, Reboot. Ours is COE double seven double one circle of excellence seventy seven. The year Landy was born and eleven, which is a guiding number for us. Philippe says perception is key when visiting prospects or clients. And I want to quickly tell you this story before um, moving on to the next thing we want to discuss. But uh, years ago in financial services uh, in New Zealand, I have a good friend of mine who's done very well, and uh, he basically went 
and bought a 7 Series BMW. I'm not on the BMW rave these days, um, but he bought a 7 Series BMW because they're really big. And he hired his dad as a driver and he set the back seat up as an office because he said in Auckland traffic, you spend too much time driving your clients. So he's going to work while his dad drove him around. He even got his dad a chauffeur's cap. And um, when he turned up to his business clients as a, and they'd see him drive up, they'd go, why have you got a chauffeur? He says, well, it's my dad. But if you'd like to be chauffeur driven anywhere, he's available. And his dad used to get hired out in his car to go and do this. Now, Today, this guy is like 43 years old and basically retired. And uh, if you go to his Facebook, he has probably five cars, probably has a million and a half dollars worth of cars because he's a bit of a car nut. So he's done very, very well in life, but he used his motor vehicle to actually get big clients and do that sort of stuff. So I think it's, uh, I've seen real estate agents who literally put their, their um, open home signs out behind their Ferrari and people want to go to the open home just to check out their Ferrari and he'll let them drive it around the block. So, I mean, it really does uh, help to, to have something you can do. Hi, Kanye. Lovely to have you here. Um, your registration is CEO. Uh, that's true. But that happens to be our town. People don't know this if you don't live in South Africa. But if you live in a town, you have a series of letters that identifies that town, which is funny because we also live in that town. So people often write out a registration plate down wrong because they read COE, but they write it down as CEO because that's what every other car in our town starts with. So we have that same thing. Kaney goes on to say, but it serves me as all my clients see me as the CEO because her clients are international primarily as well. So I think that's really funny. So thanks for sharing that. So let's talk about significance in relationships. Now, the three bullet points here that I've got here is when you have a relationship, then there is a natural empathy. And I'm talking about a loved one relationship, but it could be a business partner or close friend relationship as well. There is a natural empathy. You feel for the other person. You're able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, which means they're able to put themselves in your shoes. So when you have a good friend around who can put themselves in your shoes, it gives you more significance because they have more empathy about what you are going through and the struggles that you're facing in your day-to-day. -day. You know, um, I remember my ex-business partner saying to me one day, it was probably one of the very few times he acknowledged me in this way, but we were running events. And at that stage, at one point in the event, I was literally onboarding clients in a back room at the same time the event was running. And he saw this and he said at the end, he, he came up to me, he said, I can't believe how hard you've worked. He said, I, I've never seen anybody work this hard in our business. You were literally, if you weren't on stage, you were pitching clients and onboarding clients. And this was, uh, we had Circle of Excellence, but that's not what we were selling at this particular event. And I felt so significant and validated because of his empathy at that point of time. I wish he'd had more empathy, but I felt so significant and validated at that point of time. It was a lovely feeling. Now, relationships also give us significance because they are support. You know, think about your significant other when you come home from a hard day at work and they've cooked your favorite meal or they get you your glass of wine and, you know, put your feet up and allow you to watch, hand you the remote and allow you to watch your favorite TV program. 
you know, that sort of support, or when you're feeling down, you can talk to them about your problems and things like that. That is great, gives you significance. Then relationships themselves by their very nature give you greater self-worth, which gives you more value inside of yourself. You feel more valued. And because of feeling more valued, your life naturally has more significance. So for those of you that are wondering, why am I on this pen? I'm writing the book in search of significance. So I just think these are lovely topics because I don't think it's anything that we really truly talk about too much, yet it is definitely something that affects all of us on a daily basis and changes our mood-o-meter from low to high, changes our motivation-o-meter from low to high as well, depending on how significant we feel and relationships are a key part of this. So come on, be honest, folks. And, um, you know, this is an internal question. I don't necessarily need you to go to the chat here, but are you actually focusing on communicating in your relationships or is your communication superficial? You know, don't you hate it when your kids come home and you say, how was your day at school? And they say, good. And then they run off to their room, right? That most parents will tell you that sucks because they want to know, you know, what did you learn? Who did you interact with? What was the quality of the teacher that day? Did you learn something new that you found interesting and engaging? Have you made a new friend? But no, you just get an answer, good, and then they run off to their room. Well, guess what? We do that to um, our partners as well and our friends. You know, what's been happening in your life? Oh, not much. You know, is that really validating the significance of the friendship? Or to say, well, in fact, I'm glad you asked because there was one thing that I just want to tell you about that really was a good thing that happened in my life last week. Now, I can tell you because we're doing um, a range of videos that you'll see on LinkedIn at the moment. So every Friday, basically, Landy films a video and I film a video that goes up onto uh, LinkedIn. And I'm realizing that I could film a video three or four times a day. So not that I'm going to, but I couldn't resist doing one yesterday because we had a board meeting for one of our companies yesterday. And I got such a significant piece of information from one of the directors that I just thought was wonderful. So I just had to go and record it as a quick video to get it out there, um, which is which is my communication with people in my world. So are we focusing on communicating or even with your clients, or are we just going, yeah, I'm still here, I'm still doing the same thing, or are we communicating what's going on in our world? So think about that one, folks. I don't need you to comment back. But when was the last time you sat down with your significant other and said, I want to tell you what's going on in my life? You know, you see me come and go. I go to work at eight o'clock. I come home at five. But I want to tell you what's actually going on for me during those times where you don't see me. And this is how I'm feeling. This is what's good. This is what's not so good. Can you imagine how that can help you grow that relationship by doing that? So goal setting is another way of getting significant. So we all know about the SMART technique of goals, making sure that it's specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. But I also wanted to put, um, to make them SMARTs. I also wanted to put a, a last S in here and make sure you share your goals. By sharing your goals, they become more significant. 
Now, this occurred to me yesterday when we were running our board meeting. It's the end of the year at the moment. It's our last board meeting for this company for, for the year. We, we have about seven board meetings during the year, but this is the last one. And the thing that we insisted on was going back to the goals we'd set at this time last year, which was the launch of the brand uh, last year, our for 2023, and going through every single bit of them and looking at what we ticked off and what we'd done well. And what we realized at the end of doing all of that is that there were 14 goals that we'd set the year before. We'd achieved 12 of them. And those 12 things were fantastic. And the people inside of that business, because that business has multiple people doing multiple things, but had really done so much great stuff that we really wanted to reach out and thank people for exactly what they'd done and tell them that they'd helped us achieve some of the most magnificent goals that we'd set a year ago. And, you know, when you set goals, you don't expect to get every one of them, right? But getting 12 out of 14 of them is just such a fantastic effort. So make sure you share your goals. Make sure you share them with your significant others as well, including your business goals. They're not all financial, for goodness sake. So... What do you stand for and what won't you fall for? So there is an art in saying no, but let's go to the chat and let's ask you, what? where's your boundaries? How do you delineate your boundaries these days of what people can ask you to do and what people um, should not ask you to do, where you push back on that? Does anybody have anything that they would like to share? So... I'm going to share for a start to give you sort of one of my boundaries. We've only got about seven or eight minutes left in today's call. So I want to share one of my boundaries. You know, I'm on a number of boards, um, boards of companies that are for profit, which is uh, we've got shares in and our own company. So I'm on those boards, but I'm also on not-for-profit boards. There are three I serve on at the moment. The Global Speakers Federation is one of them. The SAGE Foundation, which is helping enlighten children um, get enlightened education is a second one. And the Global Dialogue Foundation, which is about bringing cultures and uh, religions together uh, to communicate better is the third one. So they're the three not-for-profit boards that I sit on. So my boundary on those is to not do any work that I cannot shine in and is not using the best of my talents. So... On each of those three boards, I am not the chairman, I am not the president, I am a board member, I'm a vice president on the GSF, I'm an um, advisory board member for SAGE and advisory board member for Global Dialogue Foundation and have been for a long time. So when somebody, and it's normally the chairperson or president, says, Mike, do you think you could lead this? If it's not 100% in my skill set and I don't feel I can add massive value to it, I literally say, I don't think it's the best use of my skill set. So I don't think I'll be doing this justice. And I leave it at that. And even sometimes when they say, no, we'd really like you to do it, I say, I say to them, I understand that you'd like me to do this, but putting me on this is not going to get the result that I think that we need. And also it's not going to use my best skills which can be done to do this, 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 or this. That way I can create a boundary where I'm happy to stand for things. For instance, on the GSF, 
I'm happy to give um, input and be on a committee that's going to create documentation on how to run a great conference. Why? Because I run a couple of thousand or more great conferences. So that's something that totally uses my skills. But am I happy to be on something that is um, a social media committee? Hell no. I don't know anything about it, really. You know, I'm sure there's better people on the board that's far more passionate than me on social media. So that's my boundary. Let's go to the chat and let's see what uh, people have come up with. Brenda says, I think for me, I base decisions on my values. 100% correct, Brenda. And that is a very, very good yardstick. Sam says, um, won't fall for quick money-making strategies. Really, really good idea. Now, that's not to say that money-making strategy that's quick isn't great either. So this is where um, we work on our, our six questions for opportunities. Does this opportunity fit my passion and purpose? Can I add value in my natural way? Can I leverage this? If it fails, will it sink me? Does this whole opportunity motivate me? And is there a specific return from this opportunity that will um, that will inspire me? And that return doesn't have to be financial. Now, if we've run those six over it and it ticks all of the boxes for us and it's a quick money-making scheme, then I definitely do it. But 100% agree with you, Sam, won't fall for quick money-making strategies. Philippe says it has to be creative. Yes, that's one of your highest values, Philippe. So again, it's aligning with Brenda on a values-based decisions. Um, Arnie says, I agree with Brenda. I said no to a very highly paid job years ago with a shell that would have flown me from uh, with a shell uh, with a shell that would have flown me to Houston monthly. My mum and entire family live in Houston, and all expenses paid. But I said no because it's not a company that had a good track record record, and it's oil and gas. Right, exactly right. We have turned down so many talks for companies that are not in our ethical boundaries, uh, but are probably in many people's ethical boundaries. I, I like that, Arnie. It didn't align with my values, but it was agonizing to say, no, it always is. Uh, I'll shell the company. Okay. All right, good. So thank you for, for putting that there. So um, we've done exactly the same thing. Biggest financial services company in South Africa turned them down because it wasn't a values alignment. So definitely in making you feel significant or not, which is our topic today, if you tend to break your values because you need money, you will definitely feel less and less significant. And if that happens, you're heading into a spiral downwards that could even cost you your business, your relationships, and your sanity. If you can hold to your values and say no, when things aren't a values match for you or aren't a skills match for you. And I often see this with speakers. Oh, can you do a talk on change management? Hmm, let's see, I'm a sales speaker, but yes, I can speak on change management. Yes, I'll gladly do that. And then you make a hash of it and you don't feel good about what you've done. This is a, a steady spiral downwards. Okay, so try and stick to your values. Definitely, I think you guys have got good yardsticks for that. So managing energy and stay no. Sophie here says, stand up for what you believe in, even if you stand alone. Now, this is a very, very good statement because we often find ourselves in situations where we want to say no, but everybody else is saying yes. I have no conjunction about saying no. I will say no every time somebody is saying yes, if I believe it's a no for me. 
Why? Because I feel very comfortable in who I am. I feel very comfortable that I don't need to impress everybody. I feel very comfortable that sometimes I can even really piss people off that are close to me by saying no, but I know that inevitably they will value me because I stick by my um, own personal judgments, value systems, et cetera. So I think this is a big message that I want to get across to everybody watching and listening today. Stand up for what you believe in, even if you stand alone. Now, we saw a lot of that and a lot of people criticized during the whole vax, anti-vax thing as well for whether they didn't matter whether they're on the left side or the right side, the upside or the downside. To me, it matters not. To me, it's a very personal decision. So I believe if you're a staunch anti-vaxxer, good for you. I believe if you're a staunch vaxxer, good for you. I believe if you want to give an opinion, good for you. Um, social media allows us to do that. It's free speech. Good for you. Okay. But assertion is not aggression. Aggression is not cool. Okay. So, you know, I didn't like the the the, the refereeing on, on uh, last weekend's Rugby World Cup final. I still think, uh, you know, South Africa deserved to win. I think New Zealand deserved to lose the way they played. Um, but I but I wasn't going to get aggressive like some people got aggressive about the, the refereeing and what went on and, you know, all the things that happened behind the scenes and blah, 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 and all of that. That's all irrelevant for me. It's not assertion is not aggression. If you can manage your aggression when you come to this, it'll be the best for you. What giving back does for you? I've got a couple more things to uh, to touch on, and I realize we're getting close to the hour now. So what giving back does for you? Well, I have, I think giving back, being on boards where you can contribute, um, being in places where you can gift your expertise, your money, your time, uh, I think it does the most amazing and incredible things for you. Uh, I cannot in my life say that I've got less from giving back for, than what I gave. I have got so much more. I've got more from business. I've got more for feeling significant. I've got more in self-esteem. I've got more in storytelling that I tell you guys all the time. Um, you know, I just told you a story from my, my basis of giving back. If you don't have an active giving back plan that involves your expertise, your time, or your money, then I definitely suggest that you look at that. You know, we're members of Buy One, Give One. If you want to go and look at Buy One, Give One, and you want to join that and start giving some money back to causes around the world, please do so. But come through through us. We like to track people that we've we've referred so we can see the effect of our talking about something like buy one, give one. But giving back is something that I think that you should 100% have in your business plan for the next coming year. Um, Arnie gives 20% of all profits to charity, but also she is on a mission to change, uh, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Arnie, but 250,000, a quarter of a million people's lives because that's the number of people that were were taken from us during the tsunami that she survived back in 2004. It fills you with joy giving back. I couldn't agree more. Giving back is a gift to myself, Dave says, as much as the people I am helping. Absolutely. And it's not about <clears throat> going and putting on your website how much you contribute or anything 
uh, anything like that. It's literally about how it feels inside yourself to do that. Now, I'm not one of these people who gives money at traffic lights to people holding cans or anything like that. I have my chosen charities that I work tirelessly in, and that's what I choose to do. So everybody makes their own choice there. You know, occasionally we will give a few bucks. In South Africa, we have these people that look after your cars, car guards. I definitely always give money to them um, because they're, they're working trying to make a living for their family. And if they're friendly in that, they get a lot more. And if they've got a, if they're funny, they get even more. So they've got to learn to, to hustle it out there like all of us do. Now, here's the one thing I want to leave you with. I want you to go and spend five or 10 minutes and just do a lifetime significant exercise. Go and have a look over the time of your life from the time you were born until now and look at the times in your life where you felt most significant and just write them down. Whether you were captain of the sports team, whether you were the ducks at school, whether you simply got an A for an assignment, whether you managed to save somebody's life, whether you um, you know, finally got the, the partner of your dreams, whether you started your coaching business, whether you got your million dollar contract, it doesn't matter what it is. I would say to you, do this as an exercise, particularly around your end of year planning and do it every single year and write down what's been significant that you have achieved in that year. When we looked at our goals in that organization from yesterday, we had ticked out 12 of our 14 goals we had achieved, which was fantastic. But if we went and did a significance exercise and every time we felt significance, there could be even 20 or 30 things during that year where we had felt really significant. This will help pick you up. It will help give you more faith. It will help you through the tough times. Don't just throw this away. You know, print this out, have it in the back of your diary or journal or whatever you're carrying around. Um, put it as have it as one of your screensavers so that you can look at this regularly and you too can see that you are living the most gorgeous, significant life that you could. Folks, we're a little over time today. That's unusual for me, but uh, I think this has been a great discussion. Thank you so, so much for being on, on the call today. I really value your input. It's so nice to throw this stuff around with you. And uh, hopefully it's been of value to you to, to touch base on this and to also go and do the exercise. Thanks for the thumbs up, Philippe. I appreciate that. That's been great. And we'll see you all again some other time. Catch you around. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Bye, everyone.